Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast. This is where we make sense of the market. My name is Nick Burgess. We're back for a new year and hopefully with a little bit more regularity. If you're new to this podcast, this is where we feature insightful conversations with research analysts, leading fund managers, and where appropriate chief executives of key corporates, all in an effort to put some sense around what's happening in the market and what the outlook might be. And at the moment, there is a lot going on in the economy and investment markets. So we start the year with an in-depth conversation with Ord Minutes, Head of Institutional Research and Asset Allocation, Malcolm Wood. Mal, welcome back. Happy New Year. Likewise to you, Nick, and all the best for this year. So much to talk about. Let's jump straight in and perhaps towards the end, we'll wrap up with uh, your preferred asset allocation as we often do. But inflation and interest rates is the topic of the day and of the year so far. Let's look to the USA first of all, Mal. The US in the last couple of days has printed its highest inflation number for 40 years, or at least that's what it says in the paper. Uh, what was the inflation rate? Is it the highest for 40 years and what's driving it? Yes, uh, that is that is true. Uh, so in this case, the newspaper is accurate. Uh, yes, the headline CPI was 7.5% year on year. That is a 40-year high. But even if you go beyond the headline influenced by things like the petrol price to uh, a measure of underlying inflation, and we look at this three different ways, the picture is still a 40-year high for inflation, something like 5.2% year on year. So the inflation numbers are very daunting. So we're coming out of COVID. There are supply chain issues. Uh, there's wage inflation. There's lots of drivers of this underlying inflation. To your mind, how much do you think of this 5.2% underlying inflation? How much do you think of it as transitory and something that we might move beyond over the next 12 months? And how much is a real problem? Yeah, so here we look again at some of these other underlying measures. So the core CPI takes out food and energy. Then if you want to take out some of the problem uh, areas of in the supply chain, like uh, cars, where car prices have jumped higher and so on, if we, if we go through that exercise, uh, the CPI falls from 6 to 3.4 in that measure. Now, the problem with that, of course, is if you, if you take out you're assuming that uh, if prices were lower, that people wouldn't spend on other things, which of course is is, is an overassumption. So I like to look at things like the trim mean and the median, which is what Australia's Reserve Bank does, and they are at 5.4 and 4.2 respectively. So it looks to us as if even if you strip out those one-off costs, uh, inflation's probably around four-ish in the US. Yeah, okay. So, and incidentally, what's what's economic growth in the US at the, at the moment? Oh, well, that's part of the problem here. The economy's roared back from uh, the COVID downturn. In the fourth quarter, it rose at a um, over a 6% annual rate. Um, 
and uh, growth is up 5.5% year on year. So the US economy is back on pre-COVID trend growth. So it's, it's roared back. That's part of the reason why we've got this inflation. Yeah. Okay. So in your view, what happens now? What does the Fed need to do? What's it going to do? How quickly does it come? Yeah, so the Fed, um, as uh, as one of my old colleagues put it, their Fed is so far behind the curve they can't even see it. Uh, so this requires uh, some really emergency policy action. Uh, so uh, overnight, in response to uh, the, that inflation number, uh, one of the voting governors of the Fed said, oh, I think we should lift rates by a, a one percentage point, which of course uh, got, a pe- got people's attention. But you know, I think we've moved from the point here of people saying a couple of months ago, oh, they might do a couple of rate rises to, oh, they might do a rate rise every quarter to now I think we're looking at uh, a rate rise every meeting and some of those is going to be, uh, some of those are probably going to be 50 basis points or maybe even more. In addition to that, Nick, part of the problem here is not only have we had interest rates at zero, Mm. whilst this has all been going on, but the Fed has been printing money, what we call quantitative easing. And uh, to put that in context, they've bought government bonds to the tune of $4.8 trillion since COVID began. And partly due to that, the US money supply is up 40-40% since COVID began. Now, this is uh, highly dangerous and highly inflationary. So I think a second part of what they're going to have to do here is reverse some of that. So they'll be selling government bonds in a big way, in our view, this year. So it's two parts, lift interest rates a lot faster and also shrink their balance sheet a lot faster than they would have thought a few months ago. The broader context, and and we'll get to sort of the shorter term view in a minute, the broader context is that you know, over the last 30 years, central banks in the Western world have straddled the inflation and growth equation very, very successfully over that last 30 years. Do you have confidence or are you losing confidence that the Fed can manage this situation as we sit here today? Well, p- part, of, <laughs> part of the reason we're in this position is because of that success. So mm. we got to the point where, and in fact, I think... Um, the same thing happened in the late 1960s where they sort of concluded they could manage the business cycle. Um, you know, uh, I think Richard Nixon said we're all Keynesians now. And uh, here we go after, as you say, 30 years of inflation success, so much so that central banks started to say, well, you know, we need to think about other things, not just inflation. So they went from a point inflation target to saying they want to look at the average and then they said, well, we need to emphasise more about employment and so something called maximum employment. And then they talked about social inequality and all these other uh, things broadening the gamut of what they're looking to do. Uh, and, you know, by doing that, I think we've got ourselves into this little bit of a pickle here. So we don't know. Uh, is the short answer, uh, Nick. Um, The markets assume the Fed will win. The Fed will get things under control and inflation will come back to 2%. Given the starting point that we've just talked about, though, uh, inflation's at least double that. Uh, They've got a big task ahead. Okay. 
Let's just finish off the inflation and interest rate conversation. We'll come back for a little bit more on implications for markets. So just for context, what's inflation in Australia at the moment? And you know, what is it in Europe, for instance? Mm-hmm. So if you use those same uh, tools that I just mentioned to, to try and triangulate where underlying inflation is in, the, in, in Australia, as I said, in the US. So inflation in the US on that basis, 5.2 in Australia, 2.6. So let's just say inflation is half that of US levels here. Um, If you go to places like Japan and China, inflation in Japan is still negative. In China, on that same basis, it's about 1%. And uh, in Europe, it's a little bit higher, uh, but we would say it's about 1.5% on that basis. So this is really primarily a US problem. It's obviously flowed a little bit into Canada as well. Uh, The UK has some issues, but it's primarily a US issue. Yeah, okay. And so from Australian perspective, so the US you've mentioned um, multiple, uh, or the implication is multiple rate rises um, over the next few months, remainder of the year as a potential. What about Australia? Yeah, so the, the some of our competitors, the market consensus has uh, has galloped ahead of the Reserve Bank to say they'll be raising rates multiple times uh, this year. And I look, I just uh, been a critic of the Reserve Bank um, during this downturn, but um, we're in far better shape than the US. So a key metric that the Reserve Bank uses to gauge underlying inflationary pressures is where wages growth is. I mean, you think about it, wages are the key input into costs. Uh, so uh, if, if they're behaving themselves, inflation's probably behaving itself. Now, we're going to get another wages number in Australia in the next uh, week or so. Um, but in the third quarter, private wages in Australia were 2.4%. On the same metric, they are 46 in the US. So Again, that's saying to me, the Reserve Bank is a lot closer to being under con- uh, to having things under control uh, than uh, than their U.S. counterpart. Now, that's not to say that the Reserve Bank shouldn't be doing something. Um, my view is that they should shrink their balance sheet um, this year as well. So, what does that mean? So, from from uh, November of 2020, the Reserve Bank very aggressively. Uh, increase the size of its balance sheet by something like 20% of GDP in the in the last what is it 15 months that is 405 billion dollars now my argument would be that has depressed the currency you might remember the Aussie dollar got pretty close to 80 cents now it's pretty close to 70 cents and and because of that we're actually importing inflation at the moment. And, you know, why on earth would you want to be importing US inflation? So good news is the Reserve Bank ended that policy uh, at its last meeting. Um, I think they should start to reverse that. If they do that, then I think that reduces pressure on rates. But if they don't, then I think it's very possible that the wages growth will be where the Reserve Bank wants it. Um, later this year, and they'll uh, raise rates either at the end of this year or early next year. Okay. So rates rising potentially at the end of this year, early next year for Australia, um, but between now and then in the US, multiple rate rises are needed from your perspective. So what does all this mean for investment markets? 
Well, the first thing it means is there's going to be a lot of volatility. Um, so we've started to see that uh, here year to date. Uh, we think we'll see a lot more of it. The big problem is uh, what does this mean for the US, uh, the US financial market? So we've seen a jump in US bond yields. They went through 2% uh, overnight. But let's put that in context. Um, in the period uh, after the GFC, um, up until COVID, they averaged about 2.25%. So we're still below that. And over the long period of low inflation, they've averaged over 3%. So we're well below that. But of course, we're just raising the question whether we're still in low inflation. So you'd sort of say yields have risen, but they're still, uh, still relatively low. Now, this is important for equity investors because that discount rate figures into the valuations for equity markets. Now, the US market at the moment is on a forward P of 20 times. So uh, it's assuming that those low rates will persist. Now, the problem, of course, arises if people say, well, you know, uh, the Fed's not really going to keep inflation low. I'm not going to buy a bond at 2% when uh, inflation's at 5 I mean, that's losing 3% a year for the next 10 years. Um, that's the problem that we could get into here. So our view is that bond yields need to go much higher. Uh, and with that, the equity market needs to de-rate. So um, depending on it, we've got a variety of scenarios here, but we think the US market needs to de-rate from 20 times to uh, about 16 times, maybe lower. And 16 would be probably what you'd say is the long-term average, right? So, Yes, correct. The reason why we've chosen 16 is not uh, finger in the air. It's because that is the long-term average uh, for the US both post-GFC and in the low inflation period. Of course, if if the Fed goes weak on inflation here and markets say, well, it's not 2% inflation, it's 3 to 4 or higher, then those PEs would need to come down even further. If you go back to the late 80s, for example, the US market traded on 10 to 12 times. I know it sounds pretty scary, um, but of course, that was associated with uh, 4 to 5% inflation. Yeah. Okay. And the Australian um, valuation of the Australian market P of around 16 or 17 times. So, yes. I mean, clearly the market's uh, composition is is slightly different, but in uh, from yes. what you're talking about, it seems, again, slightly more modest in how it's positioned. Yeah. So, the Aussie market in that sense looks uh, quite a bit better, but again, it's higher than the long-term uh, average of just under 15 times. So, you know, if the US market uh, derates anything like we're expecting, then I would expect our market to derate further. The difference being, of course, if the Reserve Bank doesn't need to jack up rates like the Fed, the growth prospects here in Australia should remain quite a bit better than they are in the US. So we should have some earnings growth that the Americans probably are going to miss out on going forward. Yeah. Okay. And um, and just in terms of short-term performance, you know, we're talking uh, sort of early to mid-February. Um, it's uh, reporting season for us over the next couple of weeks, but the US has been reporting for the last couple. And it would seem, you know, to your earlier point, that volatility from a, from a, a top-down perspective is being matched in some of the company results with some wild swings on some very large companies oh, yes. um, out, yes. of, uh, out of their results. Yeah, absolutely. The overall picture for US profits is still very good. And this reflects 
I think we made the comment earlier about how strong US growth has been. So if you imagine you've got 5.5% real GDP growth and then throw on top of that the sort of inflation numbers that we just mentioned, you can sort of see how companies' top-line growth is double-digit in uh, in most instances at this point in time. In fact, revenue growth for the S&P 500 companies that have reported so far is 15% year-on-year, and that's driven that 30% growth in profits. Now, uh, that was then going forward if the Fed's now going to jack up rates and try to put a break on growth to get inflation under control. Of course, you're not going to see anything like that rate of profits growth going forward. And it's that debate which is going to really shape uh, share market performance and individual share performance uh, in the US and here. Yep. Um, let's uh, let, let's um, bring our audience into a couple of research pieces that you've uh, released this year, Mal, five global themes for 2022 and five Australian themes. So staying just with the global theme for a second and you know, clearly from an interest rate perspective, some of these issues we've been talking about, but um, you know, sum up your sort of thesis from those five global themes for this year. Yeah, so... Um one of the themes was that uh, Omicron would be short and sharp and you know, wouldn't really affect markets. And I think that's probably proven to be correct. But going beyond that, you look at the US outlook and US private sector fundamentals are so good, Nick, that we think growth will be strong there almost regardless of what the Fed does this year. Um, but because the US has just run out of capacity, more of that demand is going to have to be satisfied from overseas. So we think this is actually quite good news for the likes of uh, Europe, Japan, and uh, even some emerging markets. So um, that should be good for global growth profits and, in fact, lift global inflation as well. Then, as we've already talked about, we think the Fed needs to do a lot more than uh, the market expects, continue to be of that view, even with the moves last night. We think bond yields need to go much higher. That started and we would expect them to uh, to go higher still. And with that, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty cautious on fixed income. And then the final theme, which is quite interesting and sort of segues nicely into Australia, is China looks so different to the US. It's almost like it's on a different planet. Uh, so China growth there is at a multi-decade low. Inflation is perilously close to deflation. So we think China needs to ease policy while the Americans are tightening. Quite an unusual uh, uh, contrast. Uh, they are our global themes. Okay, so let's just touch on China for a second. So um, you mentioned those growth rates. So what's the average growth rate over the last couple of decades and, and where are we now in China? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So China's growth, well, over the last couple of decades would probably be close to 10%. Um, at the moment, if you look at the last couple of years, uh, remember, you need to need to adjust for COVID here some. Um, if you look at growth over the last two years, 5.2. So this is the slowest growth in China in three decades. And do you think the – so we've had, uh, you know, in the last few months, we've had uh, property developer issues and headlines, mm-hmm. um, Evergrande. Do you think the government's got its handle on the issues there? How do you think the China situation plays out and and what does it mean for the emerging markets overall? Yeah, yeah. So with all those, uh, you've touched on Evergrande, Nick, but there was, you know, lots of regulatory actions against tech companies and education companies and 
Um, there were some uh, billionaires who were not flavour of the month and so on. With that, emerging markets led by China really struggled last year. Uh, so emerging markets are trading on 12 times today. China, uh, the US, as I mentioned, is on 20 times. So a lot of bad news is in the price mm. is the point, another way of saying that. So we think if China is now in a position where they need to stimulate growth, and we think that process has begun, and there's a political reason that makes sense, uh, the, uh, the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party Congress that happens once every five years happens in October. So we think uh, President Xi probably wants things to look pretty good uh, at about that point in time. So we think there's there's a sort of a confluence of events that make stimulus seem quite appealing in China at this point in time. And, you know, there's those structural challenges which we've talked about before. They'll probably kick the can down the road on those, but they are large uh, and uh, will be a big challenge for China over the, over the medium term. And what does China's outlook mean for Australia in particular, I guess, mm. demand for mm. our resources and commodities? Yeah, and, you know, um, part of the surprise here in recent months has been the resurgence in some of those commodities that China was trying to beat up on Australia. Um, but, you know, you're looking at uh, the iron ore price back at $150 a tonne, met coal, thermal coal prices at, you know, unusually high levels. So uh, our commodity prices look very good at this point in time, pretty close to record highs as a whole. Uh, and uh, so that uh, is, is great news for Australia. And if China eases policy and, uh, and, and it goes back to some of those old uh, investment projects, which you think they probably will, that's probably going to support commodity prices this year, even if the Americans are tightening. And I know you've got a published view that the Aussie dollar uh, mal is undervalued, but in a yes. context of multiple rate rises in the US, uh, towards the end of the year, uh, that would perhaps imply that the Aussie dollar stays at lower levels, which again provides yeah, further support yeah. for uh, resources yeah. and commodities, yeah? Yeah, totally right. And uh, this is one of the interesting developments here. We've had the biggest breakdown in the relationship between commodity prices, which is a shorthand of way of saying the terms of trade, and the currency that I can that I can find in the data uh, in, in, the, in, in this last uh, 12, 18 months. Now, I primarily blame that on the Reserve Bank with their uh, quantitative easing, monetary, pol monetary policy, which, as I said, they've stopped. Um, I think people probably also were worried about China last year, and, and it's easier to trade the Aussie dollar than the renminbi, so a, a lot of people use us as a proxy for a China trade. So all of those factors have probably depressed the currency. So normally you would say, oh, gosh, now that uh, those, those things are, are looking like uh, they're, uh, they're moving in the right direction, you'd expect the Aussie dollar to have a really strong rebound. But as you pointed out, Nick, you've got one, one big uh, headwind there, which is probably sharply higher US interest rates. So you know, I, I think that, that the case for the currency staying in the low mid-70s is probably uh, a pretty strong one. We think it should go higher, but nothing like the level that we thought before. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the other piece, uh, Mal, in the last couple of days, five uh, themes for Australia in 2022. And again, we've covered some of this, um, yes. you know, a, 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 a economic boom, excess savings, record wealth, tight labour market. We've talked about the yes. Aussie dollar, but anything else uh, from that research piece that are worth noting in terms of Australia's outlook? Yeah. So we think Australia's outlook is extremely good. And uh, it's almost, uh, when you read the press, it's almost like we're afraid to recognise 
that uh, we've actually handled uh, COVID probably better than any other advanced economy. Um, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary when you look at this, as I do from a global perspective, and then you come and look at the press domestically, you'd sort of think where you're talking about two different, two different countries. But Australia's economic growth is going to be better than any other adva- major advanced economy. Our health outcomes have been extraordinarily good. Uh, compared to the other major uh, advanced economies. So on, on those measures, um, our outlook looks pretty good. As you touched on, Nick, uh, the consumer income growth is good. You've got unemployment, which is, you know, according to the Reserve Bank, going to be a 50-year low this year. I don't disagree with that. The wealth, the excess saving, the low rates, the tax cuts, this is extraordinarily good and should mean that consumer spending is very strong this year. And with that, we think business will join in. So businesses underinvested uh, in recent years. We think there's a good argument for catch-up there, particularly with the, uh, the um, instant asset write-off tax incentive. So we think that consumer and business spending will be really good this year and, and drive a very strong growth outlook for Australia. So that'd be the other points that we would make. Um, uh, in addition to the ones on the currency and rates that we've already made. Yeah. Okay. So we'll wrap up with asset allocation in a second, but just in the context of um, uh, increasing interest rates in the US, potentially increasing rates in Australia, from an Australian equity market perspective, your appraisal of the sectors that you're concerned about and the sectors Mm. that you like at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to say that fundamentally the Aussie market looks good, but um, you know, I don't think you want to stay in the road of a locomotive. If, if the US market's coming down, we're going to come down as well. So uh, that's the unfortunate environment that we're in. Um, but uh, fundamentally, we expect very strong earnings growth here, driven by that, um, that uh, consumer and investment boom that we talked about, as well as those um, robust commodity prices helped out by China. So you probably can guess that some of those consumer cyclicals, um, um, uh, in business industrials, and uh, our miners are our key areas where we're looking to invest at this point in time. By contrast, um, we think that uh, interest uh, bond-sensitive sectors like infrastructure and u- utilities and uh, uh, property REITs are probably going to be under pressure. And then you've got – it's a lot smaller in Australia than the United States, but you've got these Uh, high PE growth sectors um, that should also come under pressure as bond yields rise. So they're they're our overweights and underweights. Fundamentally, as I said, I think our market uh, looks pretty pretty reasonable, but um, it's going to struggle while the US market's derating. Yeah, okay. And just sum it it up for us in terms of your preferred asset allocation um, at the moment Mm. across uh, Mm. across all of the um, asset classes. Yeah, so for the first time in a number of years, we are – overall cautious on growth assets. So we are uh, slightly underweight there. And within that, we are very underweight property and infrastructure, as I just mentioned, equal weight international equities, uh, but underweight US, overweight other, and particularly emerging markets in that other, and then overweight Australian equities. And then on the defensive asset side, uh, we still are very underweight. Actually, we own uh, no... uh, government bonds outright. So that's a, a big underweight for us. Um, and, uh, and and as a consequence of that, we've got quite a bit of cash looking for uh, better opportunities. 
Okay, so there we go. A quick uh, around the grounds uh, with Malcolm Wood. Uh, Fast-growing economies, uh, rate hikes need to happen in the US, maybe in Australia later in the year. Certainly Australia looks better from a valuation perspective and uh, the quantum of inflation and those sorts of issues at the moment. The lower Aussie dollar and commodities might help Australia. Um, But I guess, as you say, Mal, uh, volatility has emerged this calendar year to date and it's likely to continue with... Uh, the US leading the way. Mm, absolutely right. Yes, so it's uh, time for people to be a bit more careful. Yeah, okay. So all of Mal's uh, research is available through your advisor as per usual, including those two reports uh, that we mentioned, five global themes for this year and five Australian themes for this year. Mal, good to catch up and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Nick, and all the very best to our listeners. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to the Ord Minute podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation, or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessment about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned. 